Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. We're in this series, uh, middle of a three-week series. It's just three weeks, and it's, it's our vision casting series. It's where we're kind of going for the year. Lori, do you need me to slow down a little bit? Okay, all right. And so it's really the, the series at the beginning of the year where we lay out, hey, here's where we're going in the upcoming year. Now, this year we've called it Rebound. And the reason is this, and I apologize last year for using sports metaphors, right? Because I don't have a lot of, like, chemistry metaphors. I don't have a lot of those in my head. Uh, but, but in basketball, when you play basketball, you play defense. You play defense. You play defense. And what shifts you from defense to offense is the rebound. The shot goes up and you rebound. And now we're going and we're on the offense. And I feel like in the church, just a little bit for the last two years with everything that's been going on, we've kind of just been playing defense. Let's just circle the wagons. Let's just make sure we're all okay. And, and maybe that's appropriate for, at times. And I've been guilty of it. It's been me as much as you know, we're, we're not playing defense anymore, everybody. We're rebounding and we're going on the offense. Listen, we don't work for a large company that just reports to some shareholders. Okay? We report to the God of heaven. This is the advancement of the kingdom of heaven. We ain't looking to drive up stock prices. We report to the God of heaven. Like the kingdom has to advance. And so we're moving. There's a role for everybody. And I've said this before. I I get it. I get it. The last two years, it's just been wonky, right? We ain't sitting around anymore. Like, there is work to be done. The other thing I would tell you about rebound is this. We're not looking like, maybe let's just say this is where we were. We ain't rebounding like we were down here and we're just hoping to get back. No. We are rebounding. You understand what I'm saying? Maybe this is where we were two years ago. And everything kind of, we all kind of, mm, let's just circle the wagons. We're rebounding, folks. We're going. And so we talked about last week. Do you remember? We read from, from Joshua and we said this. The first thing, the first and most important thing is this. There, look, Joshua was telling the people, there are lands yet unconquered and I've given those to you. Which means this, there's work to do. I would just say that to the church. There's work to do. But God has said he'll be with us. God has said he'll go before us. Right. So the most important thing then, if God is going to be with us, if God is going to fight the battle, then the most important thing is that we're right with God. We talked about that last week, that we would serve him wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly means this. We don't serve anyone else. We serve God and God only. And Joshua talked to the people about, hey, so here's the deal. Put away those idols that your grandfather and your father had out. Put away the idols. And we had to say the same thing to ourselves. What have become our idols today? I don't know what your idols are. I think to some extent our idols have become safety. I know in this country our idol is comfort, right? Whatever your idols are, we've got to put those idols away and we've got to serve God wholeheartedly. And we said that. And so this week we're going to move forward and talk a little bit more about our mission. Now, in about 2009, I think it was, some of you may have read this, there was a guy named Simon Sinek. He's not a Christian. It's, it's okay. We read non-Christians sometimes, everybody. Like, he's a non-Christian. He wrote this book that says, Start With Why. Right? And what he said is this, his, his premise. And in fact, it's, I think it's maybe one of the most all-time watched clips on YouTube. It's a, it's a TED Talk. And he says this, what we most often do is we tell people what, we start with what. We tell people what, what. This is the what. This is what we're going to do. And then we kind of tell them how. This is how. And then we finish with why. And he says, we got it totally mixed up. And it's totally backwards. You start with why. This is why we do what we do. Because if we tell you why we're doing what we're doing, there may be some of you here who go, I'm not really down with that. I'm, I'm not really into that why. And I'm out of here. Okay. But you know why we're doing what we're doing. 
We start with why, and we want to talk this morning about why. What's our why? Why do we do what we do? Now, to help you, to help you think about why we do what we do, what, 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 what we're doing, but the why we're doing, let me just have you start with this question. I want you to seriously contemplate this, and I want you to think about this, and we'll, we'll kind of take off from here this morning. But here's the question I would pose to you. What's really going to matter a thousand years from now? Like, I know that's a big question, just to drop the bomb on you all of a sudden. But I want you to think about that. A thousand years from now, what's really going to matter? Like, is it really going to matter? You're going to school and you like this guy or you like this girl and that's really important to you. You hope they like you and you'll do everything you can to get them to like you. That's cool. That's all right. We've all been there. A thousand years from now? A thousand years from now? Do you think it'll matter? Got to graduate high school, do everything you got to, got to get, got to get top grades, got to get into the right schools. All of that is good. I have no idea what that stuff's about, but I, all of that is good, right? But can I just ask you this? A thousand years, and the reality of life, you'll find this out, 25 years from now, 30 years, will that matter? I got into the best college. I got into the, hey, aspire for grades, aspire for it, aspire, like work hard for education. A thousand years from now, is that going to matter? A thousand years from now, will it really matter what job you got in with the top company? Will that matter? A thousand years from now, is that going to matter? Like, is it really going to matter how much money you made and what kind, of, what kind of things you achieved at your job? I'm just saying those things are all cool, but I'm asking you this question because this is the question we're addressing right now. A thousand years from now, will that really matter? You were able to buy a house, that's cool. How big a house in what neighborhood? Really? A thousand years from now? Do, will that, no, just honestly, will that matter how big your house is or the fact that you bought a house or in what neighborhood you, a thousand years from now, will that matter? Will it matter what kind of car you drive? Will that matter in a thousand years that we had the latest in fashion? Will that matter in a thousand years? Listen, I ask all of that rhetorically and I know that because in a thousand years from now, none of that's going to matter. Listen, we're a church that adheres to the Bible. We believe strongly in the scriptures. We don't believe this is just something written by some fellas that got together and wrote down some smart things. We believe this is communicated to us by God, so we take it really serious. The Bible is very serious that there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. And so based on that, a thousand years from now, the only thing that's going to matter is where you are, where anyone is. That's the only thing that will matter a thousand years from now. Where are you and where are your loved ones and where are the people around you? Like, where is everybody? That's the only thing that's going to matter. So we're going to take a look at that this morning. We're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to read from the scriptures about that this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn to your Bibles, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, turn there in your Bibles. Hey, let me just make a quick footnote while you're looking that up, Matthew 28. Uh, while you're looking that up, just so you know this, in two weeks we'll start a brand new series. It's on the book of Ecclesiastes. Some of you have never read it before. It's a weird book to read, to be honest, at times. It's almost depressing. We're going to read that. We're going to study through it. I'm going to encourage you, in two weeks, make sure you bring a paper Bible. Make sure you bring a paper Bible. If you don't have one, you don't have to buy one. We've bought them for you. We've put them on the tables out in the lobby, right? I think the reason you're going to want it is because you're going to want to circle and underline and highlight. And you're going to leave notes that you can go back and read later. If they're all gone, don't worry. We'll go back and get some more. Just, just remember whenever you grab a Bible out there, there's English and Spanish, right? Grab the one that's appropriate for you. 
right? English and Spanish. But you're going to want to have one. In two weeks, we'll start that series. If you have it in your Bibles, Matthew 28, go ahead and stand to your feet. If you're new around here, just know this. Uh, when, we, when we read our primary text, we stand to our feet. And it's just our way of remembering that this is God now speaking to us. God, right here, God is speaking to us. So let's listen to what God has to say. I'm starting in verse 16. Matthew 28, verse 16 says this. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Verse 18, Jesus came and told the disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, verse 19, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you for the way that it speaks to us, even today, that your Holy Spirit speaks through your word. So God, this is my prayer. Let your Holy Spirit speak. Let your Spirit speak. Let us be receptive to what your Spirit is saying to us. Guide us, direct us, give us wisdom. God, life, breathe that into us through the reading of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit. Do it in a way, Father, that draws us all closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. So we'll look at this just a little bit and see what this has to do with us and what it has to do with our mission and our vision and what it has to do with why, right? So look at the verse in, in, in your Bibles. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 says this. Then, now just stop for just a minute. Then means this is after the resurrection of Christ. Jesus was born. Jesus grew up. Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus was arrested. Jesus was crucified. He actually died. Jesus was put in a tomb, and now he's resurrected. We believe this account in Matthew 28 is very close after the resurrection. So it says, then, after the resurrection of Jesus, the 11 disciples left for Galilee. Now, just remember this, the, the, the uh, crucifixion, everything happened, you know, in Israel, and I always describe this, I know, long strip of land, southern region is Galilee, middle region is Samaria, northern region uh, is, is Galilee. Did I say that right? Judea, Samaria, Galilee, in case I didn't say that right. And down here in Judea, this is where Jerusalem is. Everything happened down in Jerusalem. That was the crucifixion. Everything happened. Jesus rose from the dead. Everything's down in, in Jerusalem. And now they're going up to Galilee, and it says they're going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So previously, Jesus had already told them, listen, uh, I'm going to raise from the dead. They weren't really getting that. And then he said, I'm going to have you meet me at this place. It would have been this place that they'd all agreed on previously. Jesus said, this is where you're going. So they're headed there. That's where the disciples are going. They're going up north. If you got all the way to Galilee and you started down in, in uh, Judea, it could be four, five, six-day walk, but they're on their way now, right? They're going to this mountain where Jesus said, we're all going to meet there. And when they saw him, oh, so now they're, they're somewhere, and they, they saw him. Now they see Jesus. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted him. Now, I, I, I just personally think that there are a lot of things that speak to the authenticity of the Bible. If people were just writing it and just making stuff up to make it sound good, they would say, and when they saw him, as they totally 100% expected, because Jesus had told them of the resurrection, and they all absolutely knew that it was going to happen, it just speaks to the authenticity sometimes that they worship. Some actually doubted. Now, probably many of the disciples of the 11 have already seen Jesus. 
But I also think they doubted. I think it, it speaks of this kind of spirit that they had about them. Some of them were ashamed because they had turned their back on Jesus, because they had walked away. So some of them actually doubted. They had questions. Is this him again? And, and it speaks to the fact that, man, I know he said he was going to raise from the dead. Maybe I've seen him before. But really, again, like this is, it's real? Jesus really rose from the dead? And I also think this verse speaks to this, and, and maybe for you it's one of these two, but this is the normal response when people encounter Jesus. These are the two possibilities. Some of you have encountered Jesus, and you're just like, yes, yes, I absolutely believe that he rose from the dead. I absolutely believe that he's God. I worship him as that. Like some of you, that's your response. And some of you are here this morning, you're like, mm, I don't know yet, I'm not really there. Not really there. Listen, I pray for you. I pray for you. I don't know you by name necessarily, but I pray for you that hearts will turn to Christ, that they will worship him. I mean, this is just kind of the two responses people have. They worship him or they doubt. Right? Then it goes on, and it says, So now Jesus is with them. He comes to his disciples, and he says this. Now, this is Jesus talking, so if you have a red-letter Bible, right, this is all red. Jesus says, I, Jesus, have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Jesus, has say, he's telling the disciples this. Just so you guys know this, I've been given all authority. And then he says this, therefore. In other words, since I have all authority. And the natural response would be, listen, since I have all authority, I'm going to be taking care of business. I'm going to do all this. I'll take care of everything. I'll go and reveal myself to everyone. I have that authority. And he says something very different. Because I have all authority, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And I think it's kind of interesting that, that he would say, I have all the authority, and so you go. And part of the idea here is this word authority, and it has this connotation to it. It's like the authority that, that would be exercised in the military, right? So a captain is given order. I know we don't rank the Trinity, but it's like the captain would be given orders by the colonel, and because he's been given orders by the colonel, the captain then passes those orders on to a private, and the private never questions it. Because the private knows that those orders came from above. Now, we don't rank Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, we don't do anything. But Jesus said, I've been given all authority by the Father, and so therefore, you go. This is the understood subject. You remember this in English class when you were a kid and you used to diagram out sentences? And if I gave you the sentence and the sentence is just go, what's the understood subject? You. Go is the verb. The understood subject is you go. Jesus is saying, you go. I've been given all authority by the Father. I'm passing it on to you. This isn't a passive idea. This isn't a suggestion. Listen, followers of Jesus, just I'm telling, I'm telling me and I'm telling you all this. This is a command given from above. This is not an option. This is not something we might do. He says, you go and you make disciples. And this word go is also very interesting to me. It's the Greek word poroumai. Poroumai is present tense verb, and it's present tense imperfect, which is a really nerdy way of saying this, that the real understanding of go is as you are going. As you are going. Poroumai to school, make disciples. As you are going to school, as you are going to practice, as you are going about in your neighborhood, poor you am I to work, as you're going to work, make disciples. As you're hanging out in your neighborhood, make disciples. As you go to bridge club, I don't know what you do, as you go to whatever, 
Make disciples. As you're going about your business, make disciples. Now, this is really important that we understand this because I think this has become a misconception in the church. I'll say this just hesitantly. Uh, evangelical church has become a political statement. The evangelical church is not a political movement. Okay, What it means to be part of the evangelical church, I love that our kids come in on Baptism Sunday. It's great to have you guys with us. We love you guys. Thanks for joining us. But the evangelical church really means this. We're part of the evangelical church. We say that we're not a part of a political movement. Evangelical church means this. We believe there is one God. We believe in the authority of the scriptures. We believe that Jesus Christ is God. We believe that salvation only happens by the grace of God through faith in Christ. That's it. Okay. In the evangelical church, with good intentions, we got a little off track. And we've misunderstood this verse that says, go and make disciples. And we now, for some reason, think that this verse means go and make converts. No. It is not go and make converts. It is go and make disciples. A disciple is very different than a convert. We think we've done our job because we invited somebody to an event. And in the middle of the event, they turned on the lights. They had everybody bow their heads. And they said, okay, now we want you to pray and ask Jesus into your heart. And we think we've made disciples. No, 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 no. A disciple is someone who is taught. A disciple is a, a, discipleship is a process. That's why we do life groups because we think it's the, it's the most effective tool for discipleship. It's life. Look at the disciples of Jesus. They spent three years with him and they were still always screwing up. That discipleship, like they were with him around the clock three years. Okay, discipleship is a process. This says, listen, this is the command that's been given you. I've been given all the authority. I'm passing that on to you now. As you're going about your business, engage in the process of making disciples. Part of that process is people have got to cross the goal line and surrender their lives to Christ. And now we've got to continue to disciple, right? He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, now, all nations means this, as you're going about your business, for sure in your neighborhood, for sure in your work environment, for sure in your school environment. But this is why all nations, this is why we spend a lot of money and we support a lot of missionaries in foreign places. We support missions here in this city. We support missions throughout the country. We have missionaries that I can't tell you, well, I could, I could tell you where they, where they are and then I'd have to shoot you. Like, that's where, those are the kind of places they're at. Like, I have emails that I get from some of our missionaries, and the emails specifically say, please do not forward this to anyone. And that is for their safety. That's a, that, those are the kinds of missions, all nations. That's the kind of missionaries that, that we support, that you support, right? Go and make disciples of all nations. And then he wasn't done. Then he says this. And, oh, P.S., baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in just a bit because we're going to have some baptisms. So it's both. It's teach them, right? It's baptize them. Love that. Love it. And then he says this. Look, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Teach them to do that. Teach them to obey the commands. Teach them from the scriptures. Teach them to obey that. Now, here's the deal. If I said right now, hey, we're going to go and we're going to share the love of Christ. We're going to talk to people about Jesus. And so everybody grab your coat and I'll, I'll, I'll lead the way out. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk over to Southtown, the shopping center here in Bloomington. And we're just going to work through. Oh, better yet, let's do this. Let's go to your specific neighborhood where we're going to see your specific neighbors who know you. And we're just going to stay there all day. And we're just going to walk around and talk to people about Jesus. Now, if I said that, 
If I said that, a lot of you, and I always joke about this, but a lot of you just threw up in your mouth, right? Like that, that, that's just a response. We're like, oh, what? We're going to do what? Guess what? Jesus knew that when he was talking to disciples. He understood the fear that this would bring. He understood the anxiety and the anxiousness that this would bring. So watch what he says after he says this. Go. As you're going about your business, I have all the authority. I'm passing it on to you. As you're going about your business, make disciples. The process of discipleship. You've got to explain to people about Christ. And then you've got to, right? He's telling the whole thing. He already knew what this would do in people's heads. I love this. And be sure of this. Be sure of this. Know this for sure. I am with you always. As you repair you and mine out in your neighborhood, out at work, right? In your bridge club, you're going to practice, you're going to school as you're doing all these things. I know. It's a little nerve-wracking sometimes. It's a little spooky at sometimes, a little scary at sometimes. We feel inadequate. We feel stupid. Guess what? Christ is with you always. He says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm even there with you to the end of the age. Now, here's the deal. In, in, in church talk, and some of you already know this, you, you, know, you grew up in the church, we call this the Great Commission. This is the Great Commission. This is what we call this. And we oftentimes think, oh, Great Commission, that's right, Matthew 28, Matthew 28, that's right, Great Commission. But the truth be told, if Jesus said this one time, listen, as adherents to Christianity, as followers of Christ, as disciples, we're responsible. Like, we got to get on board with this, even if he said it one time. But, but we call this the Great Commission. The reality is that this Great Commission is given at least five times in the Scriptures. At least five times. It's, it, it, the same message is given in, in uh, Mark 16. It's given in John's Gospel, about John chapter 20, I think it is, in, in, in uh, Luke's Gospel. It's given in, 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 again in the book of Acts. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and it's given again. It's given at least five times. Bottom line, it's given at least five times. Now, we know this. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, right? Some of you are very familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the, right? We have that in the book of Matthew. But the experts say, the theologians say, listen, that, that was a message that Jesus gave several times. Many times Jesus probably gave that same message. It was just recorded once in Matthew. I would tell you this. If Jesus said something and it's recorded in the scriptures five times, it's five times recorded. How many times do you think he said it? Yeah, a bazillion. Yeah, probably about a bazillion. Exactly. I don't know. He probably said it a lot. He probably said it more than five times. It's something that Jesus said over and over and over. He said it repeatedly. How important would that become to us? If he just kept saying that, I just want you to see one more episode where he said it. Luke records this in the book of Acts. Luke records this in the book of Acts. And what happened in the book of Acts is Jesus now resurrected. Now, this time when Jesus said this, this is right before he, re- he ascends into heaven. So remember this, Jesus was crucified. He died, he was buried. He rose from the dead. He walked the earth for 40 days. At one time, he was seen by over 500 people all at the same time. People walking around Jerusalem all over in that first century saying, oh, I saw the resurrected Jesus. I saw him. I saw him. Right? Okay, now it's getting to the end of that 40 days, and he's about to ascend back into heaven. And the disciples come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, Jesus, this is awesome. You rose from the dead. Is this finally the time? Is this finally the time when you're going to restore the power to Israel? Are we going to be the great kingdom of Israel again? Are we going to throw off the oppression of of the Roman government? Is this that time when you're going to restore power? And Jesus goes, that ain't, that's none of your business. That's really not for you to know. None of your business. Oh, but then he says this. But you will receive power. Dunamis, like dynamite. That's that same word, dunamis. You will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's power. That's real power. And Jesus says, you'll have that kind of power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I, I just think we got to remember that. That's where power comes from. If you're a follower of Christ, man, and you, you, where does that kind of power come from? It's the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? If you've come to Christ, if you've committed your life to Christ, the Bible says, Romans 8, the Holy Spirit lives in you right now. You don't have to wonder, do I have the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit live in me? The answer is yes. Yes. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Jesus is saying that power will come upon you, right, in the form of the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, and. Oh, what's this connected to? You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and. We're like, and, and what? And what? Good question. And as a result, you will then be my witnesses. What do witnesses do? Telling people about me everywhere. Witnesses, you think about that. When a a witness goes into a court of law, you tell what you've seen, what you've experienced. That's what witnesses do. Here's a question. Are we witnesses? That might be the right answer. (laughs) Like, are we witnesses? Like, do we tell people? about what we've experienced with Christ? Like, are you prepared to tell people about that? It's different for everybody. Are you prepared to tell your people, uh, people that you come in contact with, kids, like, do you, are you prepared to tell people about what you've experienced with Jesus, about how Jesus has changed your life? I mean, my, mine is always really simple. Smart mouth kid. Smart mouth kid running around the neighborhood saying smart mouth things. And then I recognized the fact that Jesus had to be the Lord of my life, and that changed me. Not completely, but it's changed me. And had it not been but for the grace of God, I don't know what I'd be saying today. I don't know what kind of horrific things I would say. God has radically changed me. Like, are we prepared? Are we witnesses? Are we out there telling people what we've seen and what we've experienced as a result of Christ coming into our lives? And then he says, not just... Not just right where you stand. Like he says, you're going to do this everywhere. In Jerusalem, yes. Jerusalem is where they all were. You're to be a witness in your Jerusalem. What's your neighborhood? As a church, we feel a responsibility in this specific neighborhood. But as an individual, I don't know where you live. Do you live in Burnsville? Do you live in Egan? Do you live in Apple Valley? Do you live in Richfield? Do you live in Edina? Do you live in South Minneapolis? Do you live in Young America? Do you live in Young America? Right? Wherever you're at, you're to be a witness there. And then he says this. And into Judea. Right? So you have Jerusalem, the city, in the region of Judea. It should spread out. It should spread out. And then he says this, and in Samaria. And Samaria is really interesting to me because what did Samaria mean? Samaria meant the people you don't like. That's what he's really saying. They hated the Samaritans. Jews hated Samaritans. He says, oh, you're going to be witnesses to the Samaritans. You're going to be witnesses to the people you hate. You're going to tell them about Jesus. Okay, if we're just brutally honest, sometimes don't we think... I'm not going to tell them about Jesus. I just hope they get what's coming. No, we don't think that, do we ever? Right? To the people that maybe you hate. We share the love of Christ with them. And then he says to the, to the ends of the earth. Right, again, we're to go. We're, 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 we're to support missionaries who go. Like, this is what we do. All of this, this is why we do what we do at our church. I mean, again, our, our, our mission is to make disciples. Now, we say it again. We say, leading people from where they are to where God wants them to be. That's making disciples. We think all churches, that's their mission, making disciples. That's a biblical mandate. That's why we do. Next week, we're going to talk about some specifics for this next year. But I want you to understand why. Because apart from God, 
I know this sounds just brutal, but we don't talk about this anymore hardly in the church. Apart from God, people die and go to hell. Do we give a rip? Like, we better. It's a command. All authority has been given to me. I'm commanding you now. You go. Get busy. Right? And so this stuff matters. The why matters. The why matters. Every week we have what we call the big so what. You can sleep the whole time. You just catch the cliff's notes. Wake up for the big so what. The big so what is this. Your mission determines what matters. See, our mission determines what matters. Because that's our mission, the Great Commission, then that determines what matters around here. We do things so that other people will know, so that people become disciples. It's why we do life groups. We think it's the most effective tool. It ain't the only tool. We think it's a really effective tool for making disciples. It drives that. It's going to drive some of the things that we're going to talk about next Sunday. I want you to be here again. Be here. Be in the house. If you're home or you're sick or you're, you're uh, maybe on vacation or you just didn't feel like getting up this morning, come next week. Be here. Be a part of this body. We're going to talk about just a few of the things that we're going to focus on for this next year. The mission determines what matters. And so listen, I just want you to do this as a big now what. The mission determines what matters, your mission. And so here's what I want you to do. Based on what matters to you, just stop and think. What, 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 what would I say really matters to me? See, based on what matters to you, assess your own mission. In other words, I would just ask you this. If I were to take your checkbook, or if I were to look online at your check register, what would I say your mission is? Like, if you were to look at your own check register, if you were to look at your own credit card statement, if you would just look based on that, you would say, oh, it's very apparent that this matters to me. Is the making of disciples, does that matter to me? Am I helping to support missions? It's all those things. If we were to look at your daily calendar, right, and see where you spent all your time, 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 just purely based on that, what would your assessment be? What's really your mission? Because maybe, maybe for some of us, we're just a little off. If I were to look at, at just your schedule in terms of how much time you spend on social media and in front of TV and doing all of that, what would I say is most important in your life? What would I say is most important in my life if I were to assess all those things? Right. So your mission determines what matters. So what we need to do is look at what really seems to matter in our life and then say, oh, okay, fair enough. My mission's off a little. And I've got to get that corrected. I've got to get my mission corrected a little bit. Because our mission is to make disciples. And again, the way we say it, lead people from where they are, it's a process to where God wants them to be. Next week, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some more of the specifics. But I would ask you to do this like today, maybe. Find a half hour just to sit down and like, like process that a little bit. Time, money, where's all your energy spent, where are all your efforts. What's really your mission? What's really your mission? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your holy word. God, thank you for the way your word speaks life to us. It speaks truth to us. God, we're grateful for that. We thank you, Lord God, for the mission of this church over this almost 70 years and the way that you've shown yourself faithful here. I thank you for that. Father, I thank you for this particular church in particular and these particular people and the way that you've used them and worked in their lives and advanced the kingdom through them. God, our prayer is that that would only continue, only continue, only continue. 
God, let it continue. Let your kingdom advance. Father, I would pray that in our own personal neighborhoods, wherever you live right now, I pray that in our neighborhoods, people would come to know about Jesus because of you. Father, I pray that in this particular neighborhood, that there would be such a buzz in this neighborhood because of your Holy Spirit's activity at this church, that people would just be drawn and attracted because they got to hear about what's going on. And when they come in, they would encounter your presence. They would encounter the Holy Spirit and be radically changed forever. And the kingdom of God would advance. God, would that be true? Would that be the work of your Holy Spirit? Would you move us, God? Would you help us to assess what's really our mission? Maybe I'm not living out my mission. Maybe my mission has gotten off. God, would you help us to assess that? Do this all for your glory, God. Do it for your kingdom. Advance your kingdom. Build your kingdom, God. We humbly submit ourselves and say, use us as you see fit. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word, Father. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.